So it's Hebrews 13, and the verse that we're looking at is verse 23. Of course, it's in a, in a small paragraph, and I'd like to read the paragraph, Hebrews 13, verses 20 to 25. And these are, of course, the final words of the epistle. Now, may the God of peace, and you know what, I, I need to back up. I need to read from verse 18 to the end, because these are very personal expressions of the writer here, as he has such a heart for the people that are having trouble that we call the Hebrews in the title of this letter. So I want to start at verse 18. So pray for us, he says, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that is pray, that I may be restored to you the sooner. So the, the writer of this letter is away from his brothers and sisters, and he's longing to be restored to them. And then he says in verse 20, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So verses 20 and 21 are a, a doxology and a prayer that glorify God, exalt God. And it's something that you and I should pray as well. It's a good, uh, good words for you and I to commit to praying for ourselves and one another. And then he finishes. He says, and I appeal to you. See the personal appeal here. He he's loves these men and women. They love him. And I appeal to you, brothers, brethren, Bear with the word of exhortation. In other words, he said some hard things to them, and he's saying, please listen and, 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 and don't, don't get angry with me. Don't reject me. Don't resent me. I really mean uh, to say words that you need to hear, and I want you to hear because I love you. I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free. Now, that's what we talked about last time. I wasn't here last week, but the week before. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, praise the Lord, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. So he's hoping that he can come and, and be restored to them, and Timothy will be with him. And we talked about this two weeks ago. This is the Timothy that was often Paul's companion. And then he says, greet all those who rule over you and all the saints, those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. So last time we looked at the man Timothy. And I said that um, Paul is a real challenge to us because Paul seems fearless and indomitable and who can measure up to Paul? Now, when you read what Paul wrote, you'll find that Paul was a human being like you and me. And there were times when he admitted to being fearful and trembling, and you say, where's that? It's, uh, I believe it's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, or chapter 2, right in the beginning there. Um, but when you see what Paul went through, you think, whoo, Lord, could I ever do that? But when you come to Timothy, Paul's intimate companion, uh, it seems that Timothy may be someone we can relate to a little bit more um, fully than Paul. He was a close companion of Paul. We looked at that. He was a man like all of us, which all the men and women of Scripture, right? 
Even Elijah was a man like us, right? We, we, we read that in James. Um, Timothy had his strengths and his weaknesses, and, and we find out about some of them in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Um, and then Timothy, though, when it's all said and done, was a faithful man of God who served Paul and others of God's people and was there with Paul, now listen, at the end of his life. Paul was going to die, and he seemed to know it. And so he said, Timothy, I need you. Please come and be with me. And it's what we call Paul's valedictory. A valedictory is what you might also call a farewell speech. I'm going to die or I'm going to leave and I want to speak with you one more time. And you'll find that in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I want to look at this to remind us about how uh, this man Timothy was so important to Paul, such a blessing to Paul, that Paul thought of Timothy when it came to the end of his life. So it seems that 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter before he ends up being killed. So 2 Timothy 4, look at verses 6 to 8. Here's the valedictory. You'll see what I'm saying when, I, when you read this with me. 2 Timothy 4, 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So you see his farewell speech. Now next, look at this plea for Timothy. Verse 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly. <laughs> Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Antichicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come. It's getting cold. And the books, especially the parchments. Paul was a reader and a writer. And we're thankful to God for that, aren't we? And then he adds this, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You, Timothy, also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. So watch out, Timothy. At my first defense, look at this, isn't this pathetic? No one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. So you get an idea how much he's seeking for Timothy to come and what dire straits Paul is in. He's in the midst of very severe trials and here at the end of his life. And then he gives his testimony of the Lord's faithfulness. Verse 17. Everybody forsook me, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Remember the message this morning? Um, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. See, Paul experienced that himself in real ways. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Ooh. So apparently he expected to be killed, and the Lord delivered him at that time. 
And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then we get to verse 19. Okay. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesephorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. Here's verse 21. Do your utmost to come before winter. <laughs> Don't forget the cloaks. Do your utmost to come before winter. Now, the word utmost, have you ever heard the book, My Utmost for His Highest? So the utmost, that is the extreme end. That's the most. That's the highest. And he's saying, do your utmost to come to me before winter. So you can see he's repeated this desire for Timothy come a number of times. Eubulus greets you, as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. And I think one of the theme verses for our, our dear brother Timothy would be 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And this is where you have a bit of an insight that Timothy was a man like you and a man like me, had his strengths and had his weaknesses because of what he says here, 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. For God, Paul is writing to Timothy, let me remind you of that. Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So in other words, Timothy, you may be experiencing some fear. You may be experiencing some anxiety and uncertainty. Don't worry, God is with you. Just like he strengthened me when everybody left me, he'll be with you as well. And that's kind of a key verse, in my opinion, for Timothy, as well as for you and for me, to have that verse at the ready when you go through your times of trials and tribulations and fear and anxiety. But next, I'm going to look at Timothy's companion, okay? Timothy's companion. And that would be the anonymous author or writer of Hebrews. We don't know for sure who wrote Hebrews. Go back to Hebrews 13. And let's listen in again to the anonymous author of Hebrews 13, verse 18. Pray for us. You know, some people will ask for prayer and they want to sound humble. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think he really is asking for prayer. Do you ever feel funny about asking somebody for prayer? Don't be. Ask for prayer. Why do you think God saved us into a family? When I am weak, maybe you're strong. When you are weak, then maybe I'm strong. Ask for prayer. Don't be afraid to do that. I'm not going to look down on you if you ask me to pray for you. I hope none of you would do the same. If you ask for prayer, I hope that you would have the confidence that this brother or this sister will pray for me and they won't look down on me. Man, I need prayer. I know I need prayer. I can't imagine others who don't need prayer. So it's foolish. So he says, pray for us. For we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. So even when you have a good conscience and you really want to live honorably before the Lord, you still need prayer. <laughs> Maybe even more so because the Christian life is not easy. And if you really want to have a good conscience and want to really live honorably, well, there is that verse in Timothy that says, all who live godly will suffer persecution, right? So maybe even more so, we need to ask for prayer. 
Then he says in verse 19, but I especially urge you to do this. Pray for us that I may be restored to you the sooner. It seems to indicate that the writer of this letter, anonymous to us, was well known to these brothers and sisters, the Hebrews. And perhaps he was one of their leaders at one time or one of the ones who was involved in in the life of this church in a key way. And for some reason, he's not with them. And it's possible that he went to minister to Timothy because it looks like Timothy has been incarcerated. And so maybe he went to be with Timothy to, to help Timothy, to pray for him, to minister to him. In those days, if you were incarcerated, you needed somebody on the outside to provide food and clothing and refreshment for you. So it might be he's, he left his brothers and sisters, the Hebrews, to help Timothy. We're not sure of these things, but we're, we're, for some of the things that he's saying here, it may be so. For example, in verse 22, and I appeal to you, brethren, here's the anonymous author, I appeal to you, my brothers and sisters, bear with the word of exhortation, for I've written to you in a few words. And this is a more insight. It appears that this brother wanted to be with the Hebrews and teach them these things while he was with them, but was held up and delayed and kept away from them, so he wrote this letter. Now, let me say this. Aren't you thankful that this happened to this brother? That he couldn't be with them and preach to them these words, but had to write them down so that you and I could have these words too? God works everything together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. See that? Because if everything went smoothly for the author, he would have been there. He would have preached these things and we, we would have lost them. But God held him up in his sovereignty, in his providence, and he was maybe ministering to Timothy, eager to get back to his brothers and sisters who were going through a really hard time. God says, no. So he writes this down and sends them what we now have in part of the 27 books of the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. So he says uh, in verse 23, know that our brother Timothy has been set free. And this word set free is usually used of somebody who has been incarcerated, been in captivity, and has been released. And he says, um, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. So it seems that the time is moving toward where I think I'm going to be able to get back with my brothers and sisters. So that's really great. So he's looking forward to be with them. And I don't know how much they're looking forward for him to arrive because <laughs> he said some pretty tough things to them. He's been warning them. They've been uh, struggling. They are, it's a weary church. It's a wobbly church. They're uh, under a great deal of stress and pressure. They're being persecuted. Uh, they're Jewish believers, and all their former friends and relatives, they are using the Bible that they had at that time. Remember the Old Testament? And they were hammering them with the Bible, the Word of God. Jesus is not the Messiah. Look at this verse. Look at that verse. Look what it says here. Yeah, you're, he's, not, he's not from Levi. How can he be a priest? You say he's a priest. And you say he's a high priest. The high priest is right down here at the temple. And, and what's, what's, this, uh, what's this about, you know, uh, who you think he is? Uh, he died on the cross. Well, he couldn't be the Messiah. The Messiah's not going to die on the cross. Anybody who dies on the cross is under the curse of God. How can somebody who was cursed by God be the Messiah? I'm God? You say this man is God? How can a man be God? See? And day in and day out as they, 
as they're living in the same communities where before they'd been in the synagogue, had gone with their families to Jerusalem three times a year, and now they're trying to follow Jesus, and they're really getting hammered. Debates, quarrels, and imagine if you're reading a scripture that seems to say that the Jesus you believe in cannot be the Messiah. And by the way, this continues to go on among Jewish men and women who have come to faith in Christ and their families, especially if they families are an Orthodox uh, family, Jewish Orthodox family. You know, they'll. I remember one time we were out witnessing in the streets in Philadelphia, and there was a, a Jewish man who specialized in going around looking for Jewish people who were becoming interested in Jesus as Messiah or had believed in Jesus as Messiah, and he would he wrote literature and he would go and try to talk them out of following Jesus and coming back home to their synagogue. So that's, that's what's going on here. So he just wants to get back there to be with them and help them. So we can praise God for the trouble here, because now we have the book or the great epistle of Hebrews, because he wanted to say to them in person what he ended up writing to them, which we have here. Now, <clears throat> I want to make an application of this for tonight the lesson for tonight, the application of this. I have observed and I have been guilty of the sad reality that it seems to be more common for the average person to stay away from other people's problems than to deliberately join with them in their problems. Somebody has a problem. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I'm not going to get involved. I think that's way more common than the person who sees that and says, I'm going to rush over there and help this brother, help this sister, help this human being who's going through this tough time. Um, and I want you to see that he knows there are people struggling here. Remember what he what says in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25? I want to remind you of this. Things are really bad here for some of the believers. It says, let us consider one another to stir up, in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. Some of these brothers and sisters were not joining the home meeting. They were not coming out to worship. They were not following the Lord anymore. They were hiding out, staying away. And so he sees this church in trouble, and he doesn't say, we were there, we preached, we taught, we worked with them, we went through all this with them, and they're still not getting it. Well, I'm going to move on. I'm going to find fruitful fields to minister in. No, he wants to get right back to them. He wants to go there and love them and pray with them and pray for them. And notice the compliment he pays to them. He says, pray for us. He knows they're wobbling in their faith, but he says, pray for us. He's calling them to action. So we want God to give us a heart for the hurting Instead of saying, oh, I don't know what to do there, we want to have a heart for the hurting. That's, we want to follow this man's example. And Timothy, apparently, too. Timothy must have known what was going on. And he's saying, hey, we can both go there. It would be great to have Timothy and this man to show up to help you in a really tough time like they're going through. And so I want to give you, um, I want to talk about this, but I want to look at it from the perspective of Jesus, our great example. 
Now, I, wanna, I wanted to mention this, though, as I was thinking about this, getting ready. One of the afflictions that people will suffer that I've heard people who have this affliction tell me is cancer. It seems like sometimes when somebody's been diagnosed with cancer, nobody talks to them, nobody comes to them. It seems like they're left alone. And I think possibly the reason for that is the fear that cancer generates in a lot of people's minds, the C word. You know that? Whenever we say that, it's a, it's a word you're not supposed to say. And, and they've even done that with the word cancer. Now, some words, I think, don't say them ever, anywhere, and any time. Don't let them even appear in your mind. But the C word, you know, he's got the flu. Well, yeah, I won't, don't want you to breathing on me or coughing on me if you have the flu, but if you need help, I'll be there. But it should be the same with any affliction, cancer. Or how about the brother or sister who goes astray? All right, hands off. No, no, no. I'm not going to get involved with that. They should have known better. Uh, and then, but I, I, I think it's not just that. Um, some of the reasons why I think people will hold back, pull back from those who need us, sometimes it's, it's almost a superstitious thing. Um, something like, what I don't know can't hurt me. You know, I don't want to get involved. Um, if I find out what's wrong with them, it might happen to me. I don't even want to think about it. You know, as a pastor, I have heard lots and lots and lots of diseases. I mean, I never knew there were that many diseases out there. And I never knew there were that many parts of the body that could get different kinds of diseases. And sometimes it's really hard because this world is so fallen, so broken, and so dangerous. Like the Bible says, we don't know what a day will bring. And I think sometimes people think, if somebody has this bad thing happen to them, I'm going to stay away because I don't want their bad luck to rub, rub off on me. We should banish that kind of thinking. It's just silly and evil superstition, really, when you come right down to it. Now, in other cases, people will stay away because they're so emotional. I don't know what to say. I feel so bad. I just feel like I'm just going to, I would just stand there and just be dumb and, 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 and unhelpful. And so there's, there's that emotional component where I just don't know what to say or what to do kind of thing. Um, so there's that not knowing what to say, feeling awkward. Sometimes you're even afraid that if I say something, I might say the wrong thing and, and I'll make it worse for them, right? Well, don't do that. And sometimes just being there, even if you don't have a lot to say, say that. Hey, brother, hey, sister, I, this is really hard and I don't even know what to say, but I just felt like I, I just wanted to come here. Can, can I do anything for you? Can I, you know, they'll probably say, well, just pray for me. Or it's so good that you're here. Think, you know, not a lot of people come and see me anymore just to be there for that person. Or, especially when somebody goes astray, uh, some Christians uh, manifest some, what I call, unrighteous indignation. You know there's righteous indignation? You know, if somebody steals something from a little child, or some, somebody violates a person, righteous indignation says, I'm angry about that, that's wrong, that's evil, that's sinful. 
but there's an unrighteous indignation. That is something that masquerades as a righteous indignation, but is an unrighteous indignation. And that's when we start to point our fingers and look down on somebody and say, you wretch, you, you should have known better. What's wrong with you? I love that saying, there but for the grace of God, go I. And even in Galatians 6.1, we're given a warning as well as a, as a command to help people. And it's this, Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if a man, or of course a woman, is overtaken in any trespass, run away from him or her and have nothing to do with them. That's not what it says. It says, you who are spiritual, and that simply means those of you who are still walking with the Lord and you haven't gone astray, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Now notice this, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I'm not out of the reach of sin, are you? I'm not beyond the ability of Satan to tempt me or people or circumstances. And I have sin in me and I, I need the strength of the Lord just like you do. And that's why, again, we need each other. When I'm weak, maybe you're the one that has to be strong and motivate me and vice versa. So there it is, Galatians 6.1. But like I said, I want to finish and I want to, I want to see Jesus. All right, and here is what I want us to look at. It's Luke chapter 5. I read it earlier, but let's take a look at it a little more closely before we're finished tonight. Luke chapter 5. Just a few verses, but a precious, poignant incident in our Lord's life, and we see so much his love even going against the traditions and customs of the day. Luke chapter 5, and let's look at verse 12. And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was, look at this, full of leprosy saw Jesus. This man has an advanced case of leprosy. It's a very destructive disease and can be, in some cases, highly contagious. Somebody in this condition was no longer acceptable in human society. You lost your family. You couldn't be near your family, and they couldn't be near you. There would be leper colonies. If anybody had leprosy, they had to go live in that leper colony. And people might bring them something to eat and so on, but they would set it near the colony and go away. So you couldn't hug your kids anymore. You couldn't hug your spouse anymore. You couldn't see your mom or your dad except from a distance. It was a very lonely existence. And, of course, the only other people around you would be your fellow lepers. And that meant you were not only an outcast from society, an outcast from family, but you, you couldn't go worship at the temple because those who had defects we're not permitted to worship at the temple. I know some people say, that's horrible. What's wrong with God? Why would he allow that? But there is a good reason for that. And it's a lesson for us that in order for you to worship God, you must be holy. And any defect is an example of not being worthy of the Lord. Remember the kind of animal that was required for a sacrifice? It had to be an animal without a blemish a perfect specimen. Now, it doesn't mean that lepers didn't know the Lord. It doesn't mean that lepers 
uh, we're all automatically going to hell. It was just that in the outward gathering at the temple for worship, they were excluded. And it was to teach us a lesson that only perfect obedience is acceptable to God. Now you might say, well, where does that leave you and me? Well, Christ is now our perfect obedience. He is the lamb without spot, without blemish. The lamb that takes away the sin of the world, the sacrificial lamb. He was the second man. He was the one without sin who offered himself up for us. And as we've seen over and over and over again in Hebrews, we through his one sacrifice have now been perfected forever in the sight of God. Or Ephesians says we are accepted in the beloved. So in other words, I don't come to God because of me. I come to God because of Jesus Christ. I come to God because he is my righteousness as well as my perfect sacrifice. And that was the lesson with respect to lepers and people who maybe had a deformity and were not allowed to come before God at the temple. But look what happens here. He's full of leprosy. And he says he saw Jesus and he fell on his face and implored him. He doesn't simply ask him. He implores him. That's very strong, very urgent, very desperate. He implored him saying, Lord, if you are willing, because I've heard about you. I've heard amazing things about you, but I'm a leper and I'm full of leprosy and I've been an outcast and I don't think anybody cares about me. And sometimes I wonder if God even cares about me. If you're willing and you probably aren't, you can make me clean. Now, did you notice that sometimes when Jesus heals somebody, he does it from a distance. Remember the centurion servant? He says, go on back, he's okay. He doesn't go to the man's house. He doesn't go in and touch the man. But look at this case. Look what Jesus does here. He says, he put out his hand and did something you're not allowed to do. You're not allowed to touch a leper. You say, yeah, that's dangerous. Jesus could have gotten leprosy. That's, that's not the point. The point is to touch a leper made you defiled. And then you would have to go through a whole ritual yourself before you could go back to worship God again in the temple. But not Jesus. Jesus was undefilable. He was inviolable. He was incorruptible. Because remember how Jesus was born... He was born, conceived in the virgin's womb, without sin, and he was born. Now, we don't fully comprehend that, but he was fully human, and he became a new man, an Adam, who came into the world, bypassing the transmission of sin from Adam, and he was born without sin, and he grew up and he lived fully human without sin. So he could be the perfect sacrifice for us. So he could touch a leper. Not to mention that who is this touching the leper? The God-man. Fully God and fully man at the same time. And he touched him and he says, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. See, that's a picture. The moment you repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ, the sin leprosy that you all are born and afflicted with, gone. Gone immediately. 
That death of Jesus on the cross completely moves your sin away from you, washes and cleanses you. Your east is far away from, their sin is as far away from you as the east is from the west. And it's gone forever. I mean, how else can anybody be saved, really? How else? Because if you were just forgiven when you first believed in Jesus, and then you sinned again, because I bet you did, probably more than once. But you see, Jesus' sacrifice was once for all. That means not just all people, but once for all time and eternity. And that's why we are already raised together with Christ. We're already made alive together with Christ. And we're already seated together with Christ in the heavenlies. Because remember the high priest, he used to wear this breast piece. And it had 12 gemstones on it, which represented the tribes, the 12 tribes. And whatever the priest did, he did for all of God's people. The Day of Atonement, sacrifice of animals, the prayers. Our high priest is not on earth. He's in the Holy of Holies, in the very presence of God. And you are on his heart. You are there with him. And just a matter of time before we will be with him forever and ever and ever. So he reaches out his hand and touches him. And that's a lesson. He's not afraid of our sin. He's not put off by our evil, but he overcomes it. He overwhelms it, and his love and his cleansing power comes, and he washes and cleanses you and leaves you righteous with his righteousness. So even when you sin, you do not lose his righteousness. See that? His righteousness, you can't undo. You cannot defile. You cannot afflict his righteousness because it's perfect forever and ever and ever. Now, Jesus was a man born under the law because he had to obey the law because we all break the law. So notice what he says. Verse 14, and he charged the man to tell no one, but instead go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses in the law commanded. So in other words, Jesus is, com is committed to keeping the law until he dies on the cross, and then there's the new covenant. So he comes under the old covenant, which says, the law says, keep me or you die. Well, Jesus kept it, and he still died. He kept it because we don't keep it, not because he didn't keep it. And then, of course, after this happens, the report goes out about Jesus, and, and that guy was full of leprosy. I mean, he was just all eat up with it. Parts of his body were missing. And look at this man. He's, his skin is like baby skin. Everything's back. He's got all his fingers and fingernails and his limbs and his toes and everything. Can you imagine the excitement and the awe and the wonder of this man walking around after all those days, weeks, months, years being eat up? Everybody in his family knew. All of his friends, everybody in the neighborhood all the people in the synagogue, and the word just kept spreading and spreading. And so people start mobbing Jesus. And isn't it funny how the most important thing we need done for us, and that is forgiveness, people are not mobbing Jesus today. Heal me, but I don't want to be a religious fanatic. Forgive me, but let me live my life my way. They don't get it. They, don't, they miss the whole point. Sin is not just something that gets you, keeps you out of heaven. Sin is something that makes your life miserable, that ruins you and destroys you, that the devil uses to, to, to crush you into pieces of evil. 
and then throw you into hell. And those who really are born again and realize, hey, man, I used to think I was out there having fun, but God showed me I was just destroying myself bit by bit on my way to everlasting misery. And Jesus saved me, not only forgave me and gave me righteousness, but I have a whole new life. I'm born again. And I've got some joy here that the world, the bottles, the drugs, and whatever else could never give me. And this is a joy that nothing can take away from me because it's the joy of the Lord. Not the joy of Steve, it's the joy of the Lord. So praise God and let's ask God to give us, each of us, a heart for the hurting, to be like Jesus. Not to run from people, but to run to them when they need us. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a lesson. It, it, it intimidates me. Um, we... Um, may be the kind of a person that's uh, more or less introverted, or we may be thinking, oh, I don't want to get involved. I might mess up. I might say something wrong. Help us, Lord, to trust you. You can give us wisdom. You can give us your words. You can give us guidance when we want to pray for somebody or just stand beside somebody and, and be there with them and for them. Lord, help us all to develop that heart for the hurting that we see in you. I pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.